Well, we're going to start. This, we're going to start with the notes today, and you can look at the notes. And I want to. It's called flow of events in your notes. It's kind of an overview of the timeline. We've looked at the timeline in detail, uh, looking at specific things. I want to start today by by looking at it in less detail, more, more of a bird's eye view or an overview. And so let's just, we're going to go 1 through 7. That's going to be our review. It's going to bring us right to the beginning of chapter 8. So number one in your notes, God openly and dramatically shows himself to the world in the rapture. The key words there are openly and dramatically. The purpose of the rapture is to get people's attention so that the world will realize there is a God, he has a plan, he's fulfilling prophecy, they better get to know him. They better know which side they're on. And that's the purpose of the rapture. So he openly and dramatically shows himself to the whole world. Number two, he allows Satan to be in charge for three and a half years to show the world what his competition has to offer. And, and the word competition may sound weird when you're talking about God, but Satan sees himself as God's competition. He's, he's trying to beat God somehow. He knows he can't defeat him, but he's trying to win as much of the battle as he can. And God simply allows him to be in charge for three and a half years so that everyone can see exactly who they're dealing with. And everyone has a very clear choice, follow God or follow the Antichrist who's led by Satan. Number three... When faced with a clear decision, and I want you to realize it will be a clear decision at this point. It won't be confusing like which religion is true or anything like that. It will be God or the Antichrist. At, at this point in time, in the future, after the rapture, three and a half, four and a half years into the tribulation, it will be very clear what we're talking about. It's, it's everybody joined into one group except the Christians who will be by themselves. And these are Christians who have accepted Christ after the rapture, so they're a huge minority. But when faced with a clear decision, many choose to follow Christ, but many more choose to embrace the lies of the Antichrist. So it's a clear decision. People make their choices. Some will choose Christ. Many more will choose the Antichrist. Number four, in response to their choosing, see the flow here? In response to their choosing, millions of believers are murdered and executed because they are unwilling to join mankind in their delusion. And when I say murdered, I mean martyred with no trial. In the streets, maybe by police or government officials, maybe by neighbors, but then there will be those who are tried and then executed but they will for sure be martyred because of their faith. Because in choosing Christ, they're choosing to go against the, the new world order, the new standard of society, the, the world government with their leader. And when they won't bow and they won't comply and they won't pledge, then they'll be killed. Not all of them, but many of them. So number five... God once again displays his power to the entire world through a worldwide catastrophic natural disaster. That's seal number six. He puts himself on display again. It starts with the display, the rapture. 
Seal number six is another display where, where you cannot fathom any explanation other than God has done this. And then number six in your notes, God pauses. God pauses the progression of events while he takes care of business. And remember chapter seven, he sealed the 144,000. That was his business. And allows, keyword allows, the undecided one last chance to stop and think about what choice they will make. Remember last week we called this the calm before the storm. This, this, these terrible sequence of events have taken place. It's, it's very clear who you're choosing. There are some who have not chosen. There are some who are, have been undecided, who aren't quite ready to follow Christ, but not quite ready to follow the Antichrist. They don't know what to do, and there's this calmness. It doesn't last very long, but it's a short period of time where nothing's happening, and that's so they can choose. So we, they're given this time to choose. Then number seven. Then Jesus opens the seventh seal. And this is where we're at today. Then Jesus opens the seventh seal, and an eerie silence in heaven, eerie silence in heaven, okay, signifies it's about to begin again. It's about to begin again. So they've just experienced this worldwide catastrophic natural disaster. There's a time where nothing happens, and then from John's perspective, there's, there's a silence in heaven, and the silence is really screaming something's about to happen. And that's where we pick it up in Revelation chapter 8, which we're going to read in just a minute. I want to do a little clarification here on the timeline. Revelation 9.5, which we won't get till, to till next week, gives us a time marker. We've been trying to say this is about here, about there, was a time marker, and it tells us there are at least five months left in the tribulation. What that verse says is talking about um, an, an event occurring in these scorpion-like creatures coming out, which we'll talk about. It says they are not allowed to kill them, but only torture them for five months. And I don't think that reference would be given if there wasn't still five months to go. So we had talked about how far along in that sixth year we were and speculating about that. Now we have a marker. And it tells us that this event requires five months to be left. So we can back up a little bit. What we're going to read about today is, is, is in the six to eight, six to nine month period of time. So number two, every event that will take place in the time of the trumpets and bulls, which is what's coming... Every event that will take place in the trumpets and bulls will take place in the last year of the tribulation. So that's the outside, like we are in year six for sure, without a doubt. The only speculation, speculation is how far into year six are we. And then it says perhaps even in the last six months. So we could be right at the precipice of that five months being all the way to the end. So we're right there. So... It's taken, it's taken six years, six years in a couple months, six years, three or four months, to get to the end of seal number six, where seal number seven is opened. And then remember, seal number seven contains the seven trumpets, and the seventh trumpet contains the seven seals, or the seven bowls. And so we're, we're entering rapid-fire events here. So number three, there very well could be people saved during this last seal, which is the trumpets and bulls, 
but it seems as if God is now moving purposefully towards the end. Now moving purposefully. So the evangelism doesn't stop. The open door to salvation doesn't close. But God's going to change. He's going to make an adjustment. No longer is it all directed towards evangelism. Now, now it's kind of the point of saying, all right, you've had your chance. It's still available, but now I'm going to focus on wrapping things up. I'm going to focus on ending this tribulation period and, and moving on to the next thing. So on the other side of your notes, let's start by reading chapter 8. So Revelation chapter 8. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Now I'm just going to stop and comment along the way, and I want you to notice that it says, the seven angels. Not seven new angels, not seven random angels, and I saw the seven angels, and who are they? They're the ones who stand before God. We don't know who these angels are. We can only speculate. But the speculation is, and, and this is what I kind of think it must be, is that these are the archangels. Remember, Gabriel is an archangel, and Michael is an archangel, and Lucifer was an archangel. Archangel is a rank. Like we might have captain, general, sergeant, whatever. It's a rank. So this is the highest ranking angel. So think of them standing before God, before his throne, and when God gives orders, he gives them to the archangel, then the archangel goes and makes sure those orders are carried out, then he comes back and waits for the next order. So these are the highest ranking angel. Their job is to stand before God to, to carry out what he says, they would be in charge of other angels. So if these are the archangels, that kind of tells you who they are. The seven archangels tells you there's seven of them, which makes sense. Seven is the number of God, the number of perfection. So I saw these seven angels who, st who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. So blowing trumpets is not their job. It's not their normal job. They're, they're not the brass section of the choir. They're given trumpets because this is now their assignment. They will blow the trumpets. So they will blow their trumpets as directed by God. So verse 3. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer and the prayers of all God's people on the altar in front of the throne. He was given the prayers of God's people on the altar in front of the throne. The smoke and incense together with the prayers of God's people went before God from the angel's hand. We'll stop there. What's going on here? Well, there's an altar in front of the throne. Where do we think of an altar? We think of an altar at the temple. That makes sense. The temple's where they worship God. This is where God is now. So a little bit of worship is going on here. Incense is being offered. That's always been part of worship. It was part of the Worship in the tabernacle and in the temple and all that. And the prayers of the saints are being added. And, and so I want to ask the question, who are God's people? The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people. Well, who are these people? Who are God's people? Well, several possibilities. Probably 
in the for sure category are the Christians who are still living on the earth. The Christians who were saved during the tribulation, still living on earth, who are praying to God. That's brought to God as worship. It very well could be the martyrs who are gathered before the throne, waiting to be avenged and waiting to, to carry out their role. It could be their prayers. Both of those are very likely. It could also be the people who've been raptured and raised from the dead who are waiting in paradise. It could, it could very well be theirs. It could be all of theirs. It just says God's people. I would tend to think it's more likely that it's all those people than just one group, but definitely, definitely the prayers of the people still living on earth. They went up before God. Verse 5, Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, and flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now, we're going to get, not too, not too in the future, just a few weeks, we're going to get into some some stuff that we're going, wow, is this really happening, or is this metaphorical? Uh, what's going on here? And I want you to say we're not there yet, okay? I want you to realize this literally happened. We know that because of the language. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. Just picture that in your mind. It's exactly what you're thinking. Whatever this censer is, it's a, a ladle or a bowl or something. He fills it from the altar, and he turns and flings it at the earth. So as it, as it enters the earth, as this physical thing enters the earth atmosphere, perhaps, or comes close to the earth, it's going to have a reaction. And it says, there came peals of thunder, flashes of lightning, and rumblings. That's the reaction of this censure being hurled. So this literal thing is hurled to the earth. That's the reaction. And when it hits, there's an earthquake. Okay? Now, that's not one of the trumpets, and it's not one of the bulls. It, it wouldn't be considered one of the events of the tribulation, except that it happened. And what's happening is God saying, here it is. <laughs> There's been calm, and now we're starting. That's the signal, if you will. Okay, so verse 6. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. Listen carefully. The seven angels prepared to sound them. So in my mind, they're, they're given the trumpets, and, you know, in, in Disney fashion, they march in with pomp and circumstance, and there's a trumpet on a pillow. They hold the pillow out with the trumpet. They take the trumpet. They take it. Each one of them gets their trumpet. And then it says, they prepared to sound them. It's not one guy gets ready and blows his trumpet and, sit, and sits down. Then the next angel blows his trumpet and sits down. Then the third angel blows his trumpet. It's not a succession that takes that amount of time. It's they all raise their trumpets. They're all prepared at once to blow their trumpets. And that tells us or reminds us that this is going to happen quickly. The angels aren't standing there holding their breath waiting to blow the trumpet. They're standing there prepared because it's going to be their turn next. And this is going to be very rapid. Verse 7. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth. What is hail and fire mixed with blood? I don't know. You don't know. I don't know if somebody told John so he knew or what. But we know hail is something that's frozen, usually water falling onto the earth. 
mixed with fire and blood, you know, maybe it's frozen blood that's burning. Because listen to what it does. A third of the earth is burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Green grass meaning uh, pasture land, meadows, things like that, not including your front lawn, but not just your front lawn, okay? It's not like all the lawns in the world burned up. It's the green grass. Think of nature. Think of out in the forest. Verse 8, the second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain, something like a huge mountain. So we're, we're paying attention. Not a huge mountain. Mount St. Helens didn't get lifted up and thrown. It's something like a huge mountain. All ablaze was thrown into the sea. What was it? We don't know. It was big, it was massive, and it looked like a bunch of dirt. Something like a huge mountain was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, literally turned into blood, not turned into red water that looked like blood, not turned into red tide that we've seen on the coast, but literally turned to blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Okay? A third of the ships were destroyed. Verse 10, the third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, notice it didn't say something like a star, it said a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky, and just think of what a star would do as it entered our atmosphere, it would go on fire, it would burn, it would blaze, maybe break up, okay, fell from the sky, on a third of the rivers, and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. So it, it, I don't know how it gets to the fresh water. Maybe it lands everywhere and only affects the fresh water, but a third of the fresh water turns bitter, and if you drink it, you die. Now, I doubt there was a bunch of people running around going, oh, I want to try this new water. So I, I would imagine that after they boiled it, which is the universal method of making water good again, I imagine after they boiled it, it was still bad. And they drank it, and a lot of people died from it. Verse 12. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. Notice what's not included here. Um, there's no hail with blood and fire. There's no blazing mountain. There's no star. This is simply miraculous. This is just something that God does. Okay, it's just something that God does. And we have the result. And then verse 13. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Because the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. Woe, because of the blasts that are about to be sounded by the other three angels. Let's go back to our notes. We're going to take these one at a time. The scriptures will be there. Um, let's start with verse 2 through 5. The ceremony described in these verses indicates change. There's a change. The silence prepares for change. The pomp and circumstance Tell us that something new is going to happen. We're making a, another announcement. We've, we're moving from revealing to proclaiming. We're moving from an emphasis on evangelism to an emphasis on preparing 
really preparing to rescue the believers. We're waiting to see what's going to happen. The trumpets are passed out. Number two in your notes. Remember we said the trumpets proclaim? Well, what are they proclaiming? Well, let's, let's change the words around. Trumpets announce. Okay, they announce uh, someone important coming into the room. They announce the, that something important is going to be said. They announce that something's beginning or they announce that something's over. Well, these trumpets announce God's power, control, and awareness. And in other words, they're announcing that God is about to speak. God is in control. He's about to communicate with you, not with words necessarily, but he's about to communicate by his actions. And so they're saying, pay attention, which is the second one. The trumpets draw attention. If a, a trumpet blew in the back corner, we would all look to see what's happening back there. If a trumpet blew out in the street, we would go outside to see who's there, to see what's happening. The trumpet sounds, trumpets sound, they draw attention. And these trumpets say to mankind, pay attention. Pay attention, why? Because God has something to say. God's going to communicate with you. Trumpets also call us to gather together. The, the trumpet sounds and, and we know where to go. We, we gather together for a purpose. So the word there is to gather. Okay, trumpets gather. And really what's being said is choose sides. Choose sides now. Remember, we're moving from strong evangelism to preparation for the end. And as we, as we pre prepare for the end, God says, choose now who you're going to serve. Choose which side you're going to be on. Number three in your notes, there was the incense and the prayers. We read about them. The incense and the prayers offered on the altar remind us that it's always the right time to worship God. Right in the middle of all this thing, we have a little worship service going on. It's always the right time to worship God. Our prayers are part of that worship. And then number four, the hurling of the censer is the signal to mankind that round two has begun. So round one is the seals, round two is the trumpets, round three is the bowls, round, round two has begun. It's the ringing of the bell, if you will. Then we have the trumpets, verses 6 through 18. You can follow along. The verse references are in your notes. But I just want to talk about what we're proclaiming. The trumpets proclaim, what are we proclaiming? Well, trumpet number one, you remember a third of the earth is burned up, a third of the trees are burned up, 100% of the grass is burned up. This is proclaiming, the trumpet number one proclaims God's power over the land. Proclaims God's power over the land. Trumpet number two a third of the sea turns to blood, a third of the sea creatures die, and a third of the ships are destroyed. Trumpet number two proclaims God's power over the oceans. Okay, over the oceans. We have the land and the oceans. Trumpet number three, this is the star that falls. A third of the fresh water is now bitter, and many people die from drinking it. Trumpet number three proclaims God's power over fresh water. In trumpet number four, this is the miraculous turning of the sun. A third of the sun, moon, and stars turn dark. A third of the day is dark, and a third of the night has no moonlight. So our, our whole pattern of light and dark is messed up. The sun is messed up, the moon is messed up, the stars are messed up, and this is miraculous. And trumpet, trumpet number four proclaims God po God's power over the skies. Now I want you to notice something about the land, the ocean, the fresh water, and the skies. 
these are the things we need to survive, okay? You can't survive without land to live on. You can't survive without water in the oceans, the water cycle, the food, the commerce, everything that happens because of the oceans. You can't survive without fresh water just because we need it. And we can't survive without the sun, moon, and stars. Like if, if any of those things didn't exist, we'd have a hard time surviving. The sea, we might be able to go on without the sea for a while. But, but with our population, all that would be quite difficult. This is survival type things. It's also how we thrive. So God says, I'm in charge of what, what, what helps you thrive. I'm actually in charge of what helps you stay alive, what helps you survive. And then, maybe more importantly, the last thing I want you to notice, God proclaims his power over the things mankind worships. Man proclaims his power over the things that man worships. Man has worshipped the land. He's worshipped the God of the land, God of the harvest. The God on the mountaintop, all these things. Man has worshipped things in the ocean as well as the ocean. Man has worshipped things in the water and the water. Remember, the Nile was a god to the Egyptians. The fresh water that flowed every year. But the tide rose and the tide fell. They worshipped that. And then the skies, the, the sun has been, has been worshipped. The moon has been worshipped. The stars have been worshipped. People have tried to predict the future based on the stars. All the things that, that mankind has gone to other than God are represented here. And God says, I have power over the land, I have power over the oceans, I have power over the fresh water, and I have power over the skies. God is proclaiming. He spent well over six years saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. There's a few undecided people and he's saying to them again, come to me. But he's saying to everyone else, you chose poorly. You chose wrong. I am, I am the God. Whatever the Antichrist can do, I can do more, better, and have reasons for it. It's going to be more effective. Everything's going to go the way I want it to go. It's not working out that way for him. But when, when we near the end, when the final trumpet blows, you will know, and there will be no doubt, that I'm God. And I'm in charge of everything. I'm sovereign. And as we read on, we're going to find out they knew, without a doubt, by now for sure, who God was and what was going on. In your notes again, all four also declare God's freedom to do with his creation as he chooses. God has freedom to do as he chooses. He doesn't need permission and he doesn't need someone to figure it out for him. He can literally turn the sun one-third dark. I was trying to figure out what that looked like. I can't even figure out what that looks like. Is it one-third dimmer than normal? Is it literally a third of it is black while the rest is shining? And so when we, when we orbit around the sun, we get a period of time when it's dark, and, and the moon doesn't reflect? I, I don't know what that looks like. God doesn't have to play within our rules. He doesn't have to play in our box. He can say, hey, you know what? I'll just turn a third of the sun black. As a matter of fact, I'm going to turn a third of the water to blood, and a third of your ships are going to be destroyed because of it. How does that work? I don't know. I, I don't know. Blood is corrosive to ships. I doubt it. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to happen. 
A third of the sea creatures are going to die. Now, I doubt the people on earth will be able to count and realize a third of the sea creatures have died. But God tells us, I'm in so much control that I'm going to kill exactly one-third of the sea creatures. And exactly one-third of the water is going to turn to blood. And exactly one-third of the fresh water is going to be bitter. I don't think man will be able to calculate that. But God's promised it. He's predicted it. He's prophesied it. And he's letting us know, I'm going to do it just like this. And when it's there, he'll say, I did it just like this. So we have God announcing his power, his control, and his awareness. And in doing so, without words, he's speaking clearly. All right, next line in your notes, Revelation 8.13 tells us that the three worst events are yet to come. It says, I watched, I heard an eagle that is, was flying in midair without, with, will call out in a loud voice. That alone is enough to get your attention. An eagle flying through the air, talking. Okay? And he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Does he have a stuttering problem? No. Was he trying to figure out what to say? No. In their culture, when you repeat something, what you mean is it's triple effective or triple the dose when they say, holy, 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 is it Lord God Almighty? They're saying, God is holy, hold it. God is really, really holy. No, wait. God is the holiest of all. So when they say there's a world coming, it means bad news is coming. But wait, there's also bad, bad news coming. And before you stop listening... The absolute worst thing that could possibly happen is about to happen. And so, what has happened may sound bad, but what's about to happen is worse. So we just read about four of the trumpets blowing, and these things have happened. What's next? Well, we're going to read about that when we get to chapter 9. The last thing in your notes says there will be six years of loud evangelism to mankind before God displays his wrath. His wrath is displayed in the bowls. It says he pours out his bowls of wrath. We look at six years of loud evangelism coming. We've read about six years of loud evangelism that has happened. Okay? We're in the pre-category. The rapture has not happened yet. What I want to say is, if God is going to shout loudly, I'm God, I'm sovereign, I'm in control, follow me if you haven't chosen yet. And if you've chosen wrong, beware that you've chosen wrong. If you've chosen right, be encouraged that you've chosen right. If he's going to do that so clearly and loudly, you might ask the question, why isn't he doing that now? The answer is, he is. What's the method now that God uses to shout, I exist? It's you and I. It's the church. It's the scriptures. God literally wrote a book. If God wrote a book and sent it to you, that sounds like awfully loud proclamation that I'm God, I have a purpose, and I want you to know what it is. If God completely changes the lives of individuals, that they turn from rotten, no-good people to good, God-loving, people-serving people, 
That's God saying, look what I can do. Look what I can accomplish. If God protects His church and His Word for a couple thousand years or more and says, look at, look at the people who I love, look at the people who serve me, listen to their testimonies, God is loudly proclaiming. Remember at the picnic? And, and we talked about our testimonies. And we talked about how that was the evidence. That's the crowd of witnesses that surround us. God is yelling today. I'm real. I love you. I died for you. I have the answers to life's questions. I have the key to eternity. I'm ready, willing, and able to meet you right where you're at and bring you to where I am. Forgiveness of sin is yours. It just requires that you submit to me, that you repent of your sins, and start living a life that's going to be according to my principles. And here's maybe the best part. He says, you don't have to be perfect. You're not going to be perfect. I'm going to give you the rest of your life to improve. And then when you're here with me, then I'll make you perfect. So we're not a room full of sinless people. If you think you're a sinless person, you should listen more closely. We're all sinners. We all bring baggage with us. We all leave with baggage. But we're in the process of becoming who God wants us to be. And so if, if you're not saved, if you haven't given your life to Christ... My question is, how loud does God have to yell? Trumpets announce things begin and things end. We're not to the last trumpet, so we're not to that point yet. But how many trumpets are going to blow before you give your life to Christ? I hope it's not before the trumpet that announces your own death. Because there's a really good chance we're all going to be here when we die. The rapture is still in the future. And there can be a day when it's too late. This isn't a call to hold on and wait until this happens. This is a call to get right with God beforehand. Millions of people are going to die during these events. Every single one of these things we've talked about has brought death. Some have intentionally brought death. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. So I would encourage you, I would say to you, if you're not saved, talk to someone who is and say, you know what? I need to get saved and I need to do it today. Let them lead you down the path of salvation, show you, make sure you understand what's happening. Let them pray with you. If you already understand and you already know, pray by yourself. Sit in the front seat of your car before you go to work one morning. And say, God, I'm, I'm ready to let you be in charge. I'm ready to surrender. Please forgive my sins. I accept your salvation. I'm going to live for you. Don't, don't let that pass. Don't let that pass. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for revealing these things that are going to happen in the future. And, and some of it we don't understand. Some of it we read about so we believe it. It's... It's stated as fact, so we know it's going to happen. We don't necessarily know what it's going to look like. We don't know what explanations will be thrown out. But we know it's true, and this reality is coming for someone. 
And I pray for those people that they will recognize who you are and accept you as their Savior. But Lord, you, you, you've given lots of evidence today. Scripture, testimonies, changed lives. And I pray for anyone who's not saved here today, anyone who's not saved who's listening to this on the podcast or the YouTube video. Lord, grab hold of their hearts. Draw them to you. And I would just ask that they would surrender. That they would give up control. Give it to you. Give up their their own sovereignty over their life and let you be the sovereign God over their life. Let you be in charge. And I pray that they would experience what it's like to have the Holy Spirit living in them, helping them along the way, guiding and, and, and protecting and keeping and, and, and being a part of what you have to offer. So Lord, I pray that we will keep that in mind as we go through the week, that we will share that with others when you provide an opportunity. And I pray that we will see people saved, that have their sins forgiven. So I leave it in your hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.